I want you to open your Bibles to Isaiah 55. We're actually in Isaiah 55 this morning because your pastor, Ryan, came and preached at the church I pastor in the Fort Worth area a few weeks ago, and he preached Isaiah 54. Uh, I enjoyed that so much, I decided I would just keep preaching in Isaiah after he left, so I started preaching in Isaiah 55, and in God's providence, uh, this is just where we are today uh, in, with, with my church, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. That's our text for today. I did see on your website that another pastor came and preached the previous two verses, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, here last year. So uh, I'm happy at how the Lord has arranged all of these providences that we could take the next two verses in this great chapter. Before we dig in, would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. God, I pray that you would prove your goodness to us again. Prove your kindness to us. Prove your strength to us. God, prove to our souls again that you alone satisfy. God, work through your word in power like you promised. God, I pray that you would help us to have truly receptive hearts. God, I pray that that whatever would, would make our heart hard so that the seed of your word could not be planted and bear fruit, I pray that you would use your word like a hammer to break up the hardness in our heart. And God, I pray that you would uh, reveal your glory to us, like we just read in Isaiah 40, that all flesh will see your glory and that the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You have said this. So God, I pray that you would do it now among us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these two verses, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, are two of the most important verses in all of God's Word that teach about God's Word. And we all need to have our minds renewed about this. Uh, To be spiritually healthy and growing and fruitful, we constantly need for our convictions about God's Word to be sharpened and strengthened. And if we're going to trust these words and revere these words and minister these words and tremble at these words and treasure these words, we need to deeply believe what God says is true about them. In Isaiah 55, there's an illustration that helps us do that. And actually... Uh, In the Bible, God's given many illustrations to help us understand what the Word is and does. Some of those came out in my prayer. In Scripture, God says that His Word is like fire that consumes, like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. God says His words are like the purest silver, refined in a furnace, purified seven times. God says His Word is like a mirror, that shows us the real truth about ourselves. God says His Word is like a lamp that lights up the path under our feet. He says His Word is like a sharp two-edged sword, only sharper. He says His words are like honey, only sweeter. He says His Word is like seed that causes fruit and new life. God says His Word is like food, like milk and meat and bread that sustains life and causes growth. 
So do you, you hear all these things and you should ask yourself, do I really treat God's word like it is really like all of these things? Are you actively trusting in the power of God's word to nourish and, and enliven and bear fruit and to delight and satisfy and cut and guide and reveal and purify and consume and smash? Well, one more picture God's given us in Scripture for what His Word is like is Isaiah 55 in this text. And God says that His Word is like rain. If you put together just the first few words of verse 10 and the first few in verse 11, you can see that comparison plainly. Verse 10, for just as the rain and the snow, verse 11, so shall my Word be. And God doesn't leave us to guess how these two things are similar. In these verses, God draws three lines of comparison between the rain and the Word. Here's the first. The rain illustrates the origin of the Word. The rain illustrates the origin of the Word. So look again at the first part of verse 10. Here's the origin of the rain. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, Now look at the first part of verse 11, the origin of the word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. So so as the rain comes down from heaven to earth, that corresponds to the way that God's word goes out from his mouth. Now, if these verses didn't have a broader context, I may not think we should make very much of this correspondence. But I do think we're supposed to see an analogy between the origin of the rain and the origin of the word because the theme of heaven to earth in verse 10 about the rain is also found in the verse right before it. Verse 9, where God says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Then God says, For as the rain and snow comes down from heaven to water the earth, so shall my word be. It goes out from my mouth. You see that? This this deliberate repetition of the idea of heaven to earth in verse 10 carries over the thought of verse 9. And and here's the, the cash value of that connection. Though God's ways and thoughts are high above us, like heaven above earth, in some measure, God has sent His ways and thoughts down to us from heaven in the words that have come out of His mouth. God's ways and thoughts are not like ours by a lot. And that's because He's the infinite creator and we are finite creatures, dust. And He is altogether righteous and holy and we are altogether sinful. And and that touches all of our faculties. Even our minds are tainted and twisted by sin. And so that means we could never reach up by our own wisdom or ingenuity to learn God's ways and thoughts. If we will know God's ways and thoughts, He will have to send them down to us. And He has. Just like rain falls down from above, so God's Word has gone out from His mouth. So we can know and believe God's ways and thoughts. We can be comforted by them, and convicted by them, and corrected by them, and even in some measure conformed to them. Because the Word 
is like the rain in that its origin is heavenly. The rain comes down from the heavens in the sense of the skies above. The word comes down from heaven in the sense of God's holy dwelling place. So if you have a born-again heart and you think, I want to be in heaven with God, even now, so I can know Him and behold Him and hear Him speak to me, then you should devote yourself to God's Word now because your experience of God through these words will be the closest you can get to heaven while you still live on this earth because this Word is rain from heaven. I think here also, verses 10 and 11 then solve a potential problem that we may have thought of in previous verses. Verse 6 of this chapter says, Seek God while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Okay, God may be found by us. God is near to us. But verse 9, God's ways are so high above ours. As, as heaven above the earth, how is He near to us? How is He findable for us? Well, He's come near by sending his words down from heaven. And so God can be sought by you. God is a near God to you because his words have gone out from his mouth like rain falling to earth. John Piper said, reflecting on these verses in Isaiah, that when you read the Bible or when you sit under the preaching of God's word, God is crossing a chasm to meet you. When you hear the word of God, God himself is as near as the rain on your head or the snow on your sleeve. Now, the claim of verse 11, I think, should never cease to amaze you. That that the words we have in scripture can be called words from the mouth of God. The king of heaven. At the beginning of this book in Isaiah, we're told that, that the words that we're reading in this book are words that come from the mouth of the Lord. Isaiah 1, 18 through 20, he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And then a couple of verses later, For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That came also in, in the reading that, that the brother shared from Isaiah 40 just a few moments ago. All flesh will see the glory of God. For the mouth of the Lord has Spoken. The Bible uses that phrase all the time. The book of Deuteronomy, Moses says, man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is another illustration that you should have in your mind of what God's word is like. Think about 2 Timothy 3.16 that affirms directly that all scripture has been breathed out by God. And that indicates to us something of the way the way in which God's words go forth from his mouth. They go by means of his breath or his spirit. That should make sense to you. When words go out, breath goes with it. God, the Holy Spirit, as it were, carries the words of God from heaven to us. It happened when the Spirit spoke through the apostles and prophets. It happened when the Spirit carried holy men along to write Scripture. It happens when the Holy Spirit ministers the words of this book to our hearts today. And that last part's important. When we say that the Bible is God's word, 
words that are coming out of his mouth, breathed out in his spirit, we do not mean only that God spoke through the biblical authors a long time ago, and we just get a perfectly accurate transcript that God of what God said uh, way back then, back when he was dealing with people more directly. No. No, the Bible claims more. In addition to being an accurate record of God said, what God said way back then, the Bible is also his living speech to us in the present. The Lord draws near to us and speaks to us now through what he said when it was written long ago. That's the way the Bible talks about Scripture. It's as if these words are still coming out of God's mouth to us in the present, like rain that is still falling from heaven upon us. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. The book of Hebrews applies that theology when it quotes the Old Testament and introduces these ancient words with God says, present tense. The ancient words of Scripture are God's present speech going out from his mouth to us like fresh heavenly rain. So so don't miss the miracle of all your interactions with the Bible. These words don't just preserve for us a record of God's prior speaking. Back when it used to be raining down revelation from heaven. The words of Scripture are God's present revelation for us. He he makes Himself present with us through them by the Spirit. And through these words, God speaks to us still in a present and living way. When we read the Bible, meditate on the Bible, hear the Bible preached, discuss the Bible with one another, encourage one another with the Bible, try to memorize the Bible. We should do that because we want to taste rain from heaven. We, we, because we want to be near God and hear Him speak to us in a present, living, and abiding way. We should devote ourselves to the Bible because we want to be drenched by the wisdom and love and glory of the God of high heaven. The rain illustrates the origin of the word. The second line of comparison drawn in these verses is that the rain illustrates the effectiveness of the word. The rain illustrates the effectiveness of the word. Verse 10 says, the rain does not return. Verse 11 says, my word shall not return. Now, fear not, elementary school students. Verse 10 is not denying the water cycle. Of course, water on earth eventually evaporates. Those vapors rise to form clouds in the skies once again. But the point here is the rain does not return to the heavens without accomplishing anything on earth first. That's the fuller idea of verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but instead water the earth. Rain always waters the earth. Every time it falls, it has this effect. Never has rain returned to heaven without actually doing this as if for all practical purpose it it hadn't even rained in the first place. And God's word is just like that. God's word always has an effect. 
Never has God's word just returned back to him without actually accomplishing anything on earth. As if, for all practical purposes, God hadn't spoken in the first place. See it again in verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void. The word is effective, invariably. Uh, Christians have used different terms in, in the same word family in English to describe this attribute of Scripture. We could say God's word is efficacious. It always has an effect. Or, or we could talk about the efficacy of the word. The word always goes out with effect-producing power. Have you ever shot off fireworks? That's a silly question. We're in the country. Of course, you have done that. Uh, if so, you've, you've probably had times where you light one and you step back and you watch with the anticipation what's about to happen, only to find out nothing happens. It's a dud. It's all, it's all fizzle. No bang. No effect. God's word is never like that. Anytime God's word goes forth, it is never a dud that has no effect. You, you need to believe in the power of God's word, not just in the sense that God's word is capable of accomplishing many things. You also need to believe in the power of God's word in the sense that God's word is continually accomplishing many things without fail, without exception, even if you cannot perceive what exactly is being accomplished. God's word never returns to heaven like a defeated failure that accomplished nothing. God's word never returns back to heaven empty-handed with nothing to show for its going out. Does not the very first page of Scripture teach us this? God created by speaking. His, His words created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Repeatedly in Genesis 1, this is the refrain. God said, let there be... And it was so. Can you imagine if Genesis 1 read, God said, let there be light, and it was so. God said, let there be stars, and it was so. God said, let there be plants, but this time, nothing happened. That's impossible. Some of of you are smirking because the thought of that is obviously impossible. It's ridiculously impossible. Never does God's word do nothing. Now, can you make that truth personal? Do you ever read the word of God some days and think, I don't think I really got anything out of that. I guess nothing happened. We're wrong when we think that. Uh, It is impossible for God's word to return void. Do you ever share the word of God with someone else in, in teaching or evangelism, or discipleship, or parenting, or just to encourage someone else in a conversation with a note or a text message. And and then you think, well, that sure didn't seem like it did anything. We're wrong to think that. It is impossible for God's word to return void. Something divine Giving your mind and heart and attention to God's word will never, ever be futile. Ministering God's word to someone else in any way will never, ever be futile. God uses it somehow. 
Does the rain ever fail to make the ground wet? Does the snow ever go back up to heaven without having any effect on the earth at all? God says, so shall my word be. If we could develop a deep conviction about the certain efficacy of God's word, oh, how our lives would look different. You need to believe this, beloved ones of the Lord. There is nothing more unlikely in the universe than a single word of God returning to him empty. The mountains might get thrown into the heart of the sea. The skies might get rolled up like a robe. They will, one day. But God's words are not going to accomplish nothing. The effectiveness of God's word is far more certain than death and taxes. And so we should live like it and seek God's word personally with great eagerness and expectation And we should sow the seed of God's word with confidence and trust in God's power and in his commitment to working through his word. The rain illustrates the effectiveness of the word. Now, these verses don't merely teach God's word has an effect. God teaches us also here what those effects will be. And that's the third and final point of comparison I want to highlight. The rain illustrates the effects of the word. The effects of the word, not just the effectiveness of it. Well, what does the word invariably accomplish? If the rain always waters the earth, what does the word always do? See it in the second half of verse 11. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The effect of the word is the accomplishment of God's will. God's word succeeds in carrying out God's will every time. Just like it was crazy to think Genesis 1 could read, and God said, let there be plants, and nothing happened. So also it is crazy to think Genesis 1 could read, God said, let there be plants, but birds filled the sky instead. Impossible. We can always count on God's word succeeding to have one effect in particular. It will do everything God planned for it to accomplish. And and actually, when God says in the third line of verse 11 that his word will accomplish that which he purposes, more literally, the word at the end is that which I please. The verb most concretely means to take pleasure or delight in, to want, or to desire. So, to to put the point a little differently, in that light, we could say the effect of God's word will always be whatever pleases God. The final line of verse 11 makes a similar point, though slightly differently. If, if, If the line above affirms God's word always accomplish what's pleasing to him, this last line affirms God's word always carries out the orders of God. The the goal God has for uttering any word is always realized. The the word he speaks succeeds in in bringing about whatever purpose had for saying it. And this pleases God. God. God's designs and desires come to fruition as he works through his word. 
God never wastes his breath in uttering any word. God's words are always succeeding in doing God's work, bringing about God's will, all for God's good pleasure. And if you love God, you love that. Now, I don't see how this verse could be true unless God is utterly sovereign over everything in the universe, including over us, other people, angels. And, in in fact, that is what the Bible teaches. In other places, more directly, but here also, by implication. God's word invariably achieves the will of God in the world because God is sovereign over all. He is always pleased with what his word accomplishes because he does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth. Psalm 135.6 The sovereign God is, is pleased to, to sovereignly work out his will through his word. God's word comes down from heaven and brings into effect God's well-pleasing will on earth. It, it is so important for you to grab onto this idea. These these words that have come from God's mouth are not just a revelation of His will. These words are also the agent that accomplishes God's will. God's word shows us what God's will is, but God's word also makes God's will happen. These words succeed. God assures us of this in previous parts of Isaiah as well. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, God says, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose, calling, now he's about to talk in particular about a prophecy he makes about a coming king of Persia, Cyrus calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. Okay, and then God follows up that prophecy with this assurance. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed. I will do it. And likewise, the, the chapter before that, Isaiah 45, 22 and 23. God says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. God will accomplish whatever he has spoken through what he has spoken. His word does not return void. You know, today is October 31st. It's a day many Christians uh, celebrate as Reformation Day, because on this date, Martin Luther famously nailed his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, uh, challenging the unbiblical teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. And that event is worth remembering and celebrating. It's a small thing by itself, but it, uh, God used it in a big way because it sparked a widespread recovery of God's Word, and especially a recovery of the true message of salvation. That is taught in Scripture, the good news of God's grace in Christ that we confessed earlier from 1 Timothy 1 and that we sang about many times. Now, not long after Luther 
nailed that paper to the door. The gospel soon began spreading rapidly, uh, even in the face of persecution and great efforts to stop it. And, And as Luther reflected on this incredible success of the Reformation, Luther wanted to make it clear that he was not ultimately responsible for it. He was adamant that God's word itself was accomplishing all of this. The success of the Reformation was the success of the word. Uh, In a sermon in 1522, just five years after he nailed the theses to the door, Luther said that the work should be left to God and his word should be allowed to work alone without our work or interference. We should give free course to the word and not add our works to it. We have the right to speak, but not the power to accomplish. We should preach the word, but the results must be left solely to God's good pleasure. We must win the hearts of people, but that is done when I teach only the word of God and preach the gospel. The word sinks into the heart and does its work. God would accomplish more with his word than if you or I were to merge all of our power into one heap still quoting Luther, we simply allowed the word to act and prayed. For the word created heaven and earth and all things. The word must do this thing and not we poor sinners. Take take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy, the the Pope, that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Had I desired to foment trouble, I could have brought great bloodshed upon Germany. Indeed, I could have started such a game that even the emperor would not have been safe. But what would it have been? Mere fool's play. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. When we spread the word alone and let it alone do the work, this distresses Satan, for the word is almighty and takes captives' hearts. End quote. Luther was a man captured by the truth of Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. God's word does not return void. It is powerful to accomplish all the purposes of God. Now, our our text in Isaiah 55 does give us some idea of what some of those purposes God has, which is where it accomplishes at his pleasure. The effects of the rain illustrate this. Uh, Look at the second half of verse 10. What does the, the rain watering the earth accomplish? It makes... It waters the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So the effects are life, it brings forth, and sustaining of life. The rain makes crops grow, some of which is used for food this year, bread for the eater, some of which is used for seed to plant next year's crops for future food, seed to the sower, life. Severe drought results in death, eventually. Starvation. Death to crops, leading to death of people who depend on the crops. The rain brings forth life, sustains life. 
And the word of God does the same. But for a different kind and quality of life. Eternal life. The word accomplishes the spiritual birth and the spiritual growth and sustenance that matters most. It matters forever. will matter long after our current lives that depend on the rain are over. First Peter says that we Christians have been born again, meaning we, we've been given a new life. We've been regenerated as those who, who believe in Jesus for salvation. It's a miracle of God's grace. How does God do this miracle of salvation in us? 1 Peter 1.23 says, We have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. James 1.18 says, The Father of His own will brought us forth, gave us new life, made us alive. He did it by the Word of truth. And so a few verses later, James exhorts us in 1.21, So receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Jesus reaffirmed this, the life-giving efficacy of God's word. When, When he quoted in Matthew 4 from the verse in Deuteronomy that I read part of earlier, Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And these kinds of truths about Scripture is, is what Paul had in mind when he told the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Catch this part. Which is at work. In you believers, the Word does the work. The Word does the work of saving sinners, and the Word works to sanctify the saved. All right, so, so if you recognize or strongly suspect that you are not born again, you are not a true Christian, seek God in His Word. Lay hold of this imperishable seed by which men are born again. This is the agent through which God works to cause people to be born again. Receive with meekness the implanted word. It is able to save your soul. And then for Christians, the food and water we need to live the life God wants us to live is the Bible. The bread we need to eat to grow like God wants us to grow. It's the words that have come from His mouth. And, very much related, His word is is how we come to Him to find our soul's satisfaction and delight in Him. Just like He invited His people in the beginning of this chapter, Isaiah 55. I see a couple of connections between uh, the verses 10 and 11 that we've been talking about and, and the invitation of God up in verses 1 through 3. When the work of of God's Word is compared to rain, water, and bread, that should make us think back to these verses where God calls His people, come to the waters and eat true bread to, to delight ourselves in Him. 
Further, these, these verses at the beginning of the chapter explicitly say that we, we come to God to enjoy Him and be satisfied by Him and live in Him as we listen to Him. As we give ourselves to hearing the words that come out of His mouth. Look up at those verses. I, I want you to see that. Verse 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good. How do you eat what is good? Listen to me and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. You see it? We, we receive and experience this life and delight and satisfaction of coming to God as we listen to His words in faith and with a penitent heart. This too is part of the purpose for which God sends forth His words, our joy in Him, our satisfaction in Him for His glory. He's pleased to accomplish this in people, in His people whenever they turn to His Word. On the way here, I stopped at a gas station outside of Weatherford, and and in one of the windows, there was a huge sign that said, Taste Heavenly Pleasures. And then there was a picture of a candy bar. A candy bar? I thought, you need a picture of a Bible on that sign. This is how we come to God, to delight ourselves in Him and and eat rich food. Come to Him. Eat what is truly bread. Drink heavenly rain. Taste heaven's joys. Share this manna with others. And and as you do, trust in the sure work of God's Word. It will not return empty. And God's given you His Word about that, hasn't He? So remember it well. These words do not just reveal God's will to us. They are powerful to accomplish God's will in us, through us, for God's good pleasure. And here's the last thing I want to share with you. If you latch on to this understanding about what God's Word is and does, then you will understand more fully why our Lord Jesus is called the Word. Jesus is called the Word in the New Testament not only because He's the perfect revelation of God, God's self-disclosure, but also because He is the one who accomplishes the will of God. Jesus is is, is rightly called the, the living Word, the personal Word of God, because He is God's perfect self-revelation to the world, and He is the agent through which God works and, and, and brings to fruition His purposes in the world for His pleasure. When, when the Son of God is referred to as the Word in John chapter 1, that title is explained along both of those lines. 
He is the Word of God in that He is the one through whom God made the world. And He is the Word of God in that He is the one who makes the Father known to us. Jesus talked about His own mission in ways that sound a lot like the portrayal of God's Word in Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. See if this sounds familiar. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. He said, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. He came down from heaven like a word going out from God's mouth in heaven. And His going forth from heaven was not in vain. Jesus did not come down from heaven and then return to heaven in an empty manner with nothing to show for it. He accomplished all the work the Father gave him to do. And he prayed this way at the end of his life as he was anticipating returning to heaven. In John 17, 4 and 5, he said, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus returned to heaven. No purpose of God was made void. He accomplished all his Father's will. Namely, he accomplished our salvation. The Son of God came from heaven like rain falling from the throne of God. And he lived among us as one of us so he could die for us and then rise again so we could have the forgiveness of our sins and come to know God and know the joys of heaven in communion with God. If you receive the word of God who is Jesus, God gives all of this to you as a gift. That's why he says, come come to me without money. Come and buy without money. He doesn't want you to reach up to him. He wants you to receive how he has come down from heaven to you. If you will receive the living word of God, Jesus, as he is presented to you in the written word of God, then what Jesus did on earth counts for you. Heaven's joys are yours. You come to God. God is near to you now and forever. Father, thank you for sending your word from heaven to accomplish your purposes. God, we thank you. You're, you could have done anything. Your purposes could have been anything, and you would have surely accomplished them. And so we thank you that your purposes, what pleased you was to save sinners like us. God, thank you for inviting us to share in in your own eternal joys and blessedness. Thank you for taking the curse for our sin upon yourself by placing it upon your Son. God, thank you that you speak to us in a living and present way through your word, even now, even today. Thank you for uh, remaining near and findable to us. God, I pray that you would uh, truly deepen our conviction about what your words are and do. God, I pray that you would be pleased to do this. I pray you would increase our conviction about your word using the word that has gone out from your mouth even in this last hour. 
We pray you would do it for your glory, the glory of your Son, and the glory of your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, your Word, our Savior. Amen.